Amen. Well, welcome here. We are venturing on a new series. And uh, as I told the first service, my wife, uh, Nancy, has said that <clears throat> in her time living with me that uh, no event that I am involved in is ever complete unless I share it with somebody. And uh, she just said, you just have to. You just have to do it. And it's true. I, if I find something that's really a lot of fun and I just I look around, I've got to make sure somebody else can enjoy the fun. And I, I did get, uh, I, you know, I took that a little bit as a uh, criticism, but I found out that God said he create us, created us that way to share. So, so then I was kind of okay with it. But the reason I say that is I have for the last eight years, even though that I, we've been studying different things that I've been preaching, in the side uh, of my study, I've been studying Ecclesiastes for eight years. And I just get through it, and then I think I'm done, and I go back, and I think, i got to do it again. And I've been doing it. And uh, literally, I have to tell you that I am just giddy. And, if, and so when I found out that we get to go ahead and walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, I just am so excited to have us walk together and let me kind of at least come along and show you some of the things that, uh, that we got to see. The book is uh, a controversial book sometimes for people that read it, and we're going to show you today uh, how not to read it, uh, because for many, many years, that's how I read it, and I would walk away with ex exactly the same uh, concept and same attitude that the author Solomon said is, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity, it's just smoke in the wind. Uh, what's what good is this life? Because by the time you're done with it, death comes, eats you up, swallows you up, and it's nothing there. And so over and over, you're going to hear that theme. And if we don't understand at least what he was wanting to do, we are going to become deeply confused, and we're going to be leaving this with, this is not at all my favorite book, uh, but by far. But uh, I, I think if you'll go ahead and pause and, and kind of open your heart I think you can see that this is actually a book of joy, a book of worship, and it's going to take the lid off of some of the things that maybe you've had questions in your life, and I, I hope it will help you. Uh, I'm, I'm giving a little bit of a, a picture. If we can have the picture of the gifts up here on, on the stage, I'm going to give you just this picture right off the bat, and then we're going to come back to it, but I want to make sure we don't miss it. On the left of this picture, you have the, the yellow one, that's the gift. That gift is, are all the pleasures that God has given you, even from the song you sing, from looking at the stars and the, and the water and the buildings and, the, and what money can buy and fine food and fine wine and, and just all the things that are pleasurable in life from singing and from dancing and from all the things you can imagine they're in that package of the gift, and they're wrapped up, and they're from God. All gifts come from God. On the right side, the red package, is the gift to enjoy the gift. If you do not, and have not, and cannot unwrap that gift that gives you the gift to come over here and enjoy the gift, then life is going to be really, really in vain. And you're going to be very, very confused with things of life. And it becomes extremely miserable and extremely sad. 
And, and so we're going to go ahead and say we've got to understand the gift to enjoy the gift is this intimate, deep union with God as seen through Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to come back to that. But before we go, I want you to take a journey with me uh, uh, on the life of the author. Now, Solomon uh, is, uh, if, we, if we go back to Solomon's birth, David had just kind of finished his life, and he, uh, at the end of his life, as David's entire life, he seemed to have pitfalls of failure. And he'd have them over and over again, but he, he was magnetized to God. He had this union with God that even after all of his failures, he would fall to his knees and he'd be drawn and magnified to God, and they'd be just like a magnet knit together. And God loved him for that and said, this is a man after my own heart. Well, right before the end of his days, he had a magnificent failure. Bathsheba was not his biggest failure. Uh, he took pride in what, what he had uh, been given, and he decided to violate a covenant that God told him not to do, and he decided he would go and number how many people he had and how many troops he had. And he basically wanted to just see how cool it was. Kind of like when you sit down and you, you look at all your bank accounts and you're just counting it all out. And you kind of, hey, look at what we got here. And, and, and God says, no, don't number it. Don't count your troops. Don't count your money. Okay? It's all for me. But he did anyway, and a terrible disease came upon his people, and the, and the pain of watching people die, he was magnetized to God again, and he came and he said, oh God, I have sinned against you, and he fell to his face. And he said, these poor sheep didn't do anything. Don't let them suffer. It is I. I'm, this one's on me. And he knit back with God. And uh, the story of way back when Solomon was born. Now, Solomon, at this time, Solomon was a young man growing up. And we have the history of Solomon's birth is after uh, Bathsheba and David lost their child. Uh, they were in terrible pain and misery. And God said, go into uh, your wife and you will bear forth a son. And they come and have the son named Solomon. And it said uh, in First Kings, it says, and you shall call his name Jediah, for he is the beloved of God, for I love him. Think of that. Just pause a minute. A lot of times we hear all the rotten stories of Solomon sometimes. He is the loved of God. And, and now if we race kind of forward with his life, after David is on his deathbed and he decides, okay, I am going to go ahead and die, and I am going to give charge to my son Solomon, and remember, David came to a conclusion when all was said and all was done, and he said, uh, basically, try not to follow the path that I followed here. And he said, stay true to keep the commandments and your love of God. And so he, he lays hands on Solomon, and he said, Solomon, be strong. Show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. And David goes on in his life, and David, uh, he even sees all the blessings that God has given him, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But he even comes to the place where he says, oh Lord God, hear God in heaven, uh, hear their prayers and their supplications. When they sin against you for you, there is no man who will not sin against you. Forgive them as they repent. And let them 
be turned from their iniquities and follow you and walk in the way that you have commanded. This was Solomon's desire of his heart. This is what he desired to do. And so when Solomon was uh, uh, the king and God came to him and he said, Solomon, I'm going to give you anything. Ask anything you want from me and I will grant it to you. And Solomon looked around and he says, look at the number of people that you have put me in charge of and I'm but a child. I don't know the simplest thing as a child does. I don't know how to do this job. You're going to have me be king and reign over all of these people. I'm but a child. I don't know the simplest thing of coming in or going out a door. And God, he said, so why don't you, God, here's what I ask for. Give me wisdom. Give me knowledge and understanding and discernment that I might lead your people. And God says, because you have asked for this and not asked for money and not asked for wealth and not asked for uh, the lives of those enemies that hated you, because you've asked for this, I am going to grant you wisdom and I'm going to grant you knowledge and discernment. And matter of fact, Solomon, there will be, there will be nobody ever wiser than you ever from this day on. And from the past, there's never been anybody even close to how brilliant you will be in wisdom and knowledge. So I want you to just stop for a minute and listen to what we're just saying. This is the wisest man that ever lived on the planet and nobody's been wiser than him after him. And he's writing a book to us that we're going to look at for four months. I think it's worth giving some attention to this. Okay. Because you're going to see the book and what he says about the book. Solomon did not finish well. What happened in Solomon is what began to happen in David and it happens in your life and my life. As he became wiser and became wealthier and God said you'll not only be wise but you'll be richer than any person ever to live on this planet and he went on to show what he had and everything about him, his reputation, his reputation grew all over the known world and people came just to glare and get, catch sight of this man. Not only was he brilliantly uh, brilliant in his wisdom, he was handsome, he was rich, and everybody wanted to see him. And that felt good to Solomon. And then it got to where Queen of Sheba, who was known as her beauty and also known as the, one of the wealthiest women alive, she heard and she said, I have got to see this man. Today she'd say, I have got to see this stud. And she got all of her riches. She came, she saw him, says he is as they have said he is. He's not only brilliant and wise, but look at his abundant riches. And so that I might at least add a little to him, she gave him all kinds of riches and stuff. And at this point, Solomon began to go in a direction that he was warned never to go. And you're going to see that he is going to show you and I never to go. He began to take this in and he began to live a life with not God being the main stay of his life. God did not go out of his mind. He just was no longer the main thing. So I'm going to give you something right now to take now, and then when we leave, we'll say it again. Make the main thing the main thing in your life. Because he didn't. And you saw what happened. And so here, here's something that I, I want to encourage you on. If I see, if I'm in a situation, uh, here's the illustration I use for service. I love snorkeling. Uh, I love being in the water. I, I sometimes get lost. My wife, when we go together, she, she knows, don't even try to stop him for the first couple hours because he's gone. And uh, 
And I love snorkel, but you can go into different waters and different types of waters have different dangers. And you're wanting to know the people that know that area, that know the currents and know what are the different things you want and uh, to avoid and the things you don't want to avoid. And, but you can get lost when you put the snorkel on and you look underwater and you see the colors of everything. They're beautiful. And you see these little Nemos starting to swim down this thing and you're ready to follow these things. And the master diver comes and grabs you by the fin and pulls you back and says, uh-uh, do not go that way. Do not go that way. There are unbelievable currents and undercurrents that can take you down no matter how good a swimmer you are. There are jellyfish that will sting and even paralyze you for parts of your time. There are sea urchins with these little black spikes that will poke you. There's nothing down there for you. How many of you still want to go that way? I mean, I wouldn't when I can look over here. This is what this man is writing about in this book. He's saying this. People, I blotched up my life. And believe me, no matter what you try, you won't have tried it any, even close to what I tried it. There is nothing down this current. Matter of fact, it will lead to despair in your life. It will absolutely lie to you. So I'm writing a book inspired by the Holy Spirit. Remember, it says in 2 Timothy that all Scripture, Old Testament and New, is inspired by God. God breathed under the pages the words that were written. So these words that Solomon is writing are also and are the Holy Spirit's words to us through a wise man. So we've got quite a resume in Solomon, but we have a great resume in the Holy Spirit. And all of canon of Scripture is writing about one person, Jesus Christ. And so when you have that gift to enjoy the gift, which is that intimate union with Jesus Christ, and you're growing in that relationship, you now have the ability to open these other gifts and enjoy them to their fullest. But we're going to come back to that. So here we are. We're, we're in Ecclesiastes, and Solomon is saying this. I've blotched it up, and I will say anything and do anything to keep you from following this track. Our pastor before Ben was here, some of you were not here, but some of you were here when our pastor was uh, Steve Balsley. Steve was a dear friend of mine, and uh, he felt that God had impressed on him that he was supposed to keep preaching even while he was dying. A lot of you were witnesses of that. He was dying up here while he was preaching. And there's something, I can tell you at least, I don't think I imagined this, but I looked around and saw your ears and my ears. We were pretty attentive to a dying man's words. There was nothing for him to lose. He wasn't looking anymore for your uh, applauds. He was just doing what he heard God tell him to do, and his words became very powerful in his last days, would you not agree? This is a man that is in his last days of his life, Solomon. And he's saying this, guys, I know what's right and wrong. I should have known better. And if I can at least help you not follow the path that I went, it will have made it all worthwhile for me. 
So the wise old man at the end of his life says, the writings of many books is endless, and the study of those books is just weary to your body. In the end, have an awesome fear and respect of God and be obedient to what he says. This is the, this is the, the, the command to all mankind. Put him first. Put the main thing, the main thing. So, with that, sounds pretty grim, I would like to kind of turn the tables here. Why was I so giddy about this book? Why was I so giddy for you to, to journey together with me in it? Because I think if we will do and read this book the way God intended it to be read, by putting the main thing, the main thing, you will eyes and your soul and your emotions will be opened up and you will enter into the presence of God, which in the presence of God is fullness of joy. We'll be able to go over here and unwrap these gifts of life and we will celebrate them to their max. And they will bring joy beyond anything you can imagine. You will taste foods that you'll think, how did I ever eat this and not taste like this? How did I ever walk along and miss what the hills look like? I didn't even see what they were like. And you will begin to begin to enjoy life at its fullest because now you have the gift to open the gift. But, repeating, if you do not have the gift to open it, all of those gifts will become empty and vain and smoke and they will make you have despair. I pray that for this next uh, four months, as we open this book and begin to go, that you will go ahead and say, God, every time I read this, I want to read it in light of the lens that you have given me. And that lens is this. It says, if we'll read this book through the lens of Jesus Christ, the true embodiment of wisdom, who has crushed the curse of death on the cross, brought hope through his resurrection, will bring justice as his return, and enjoy the blessed union of his life in us, we actually will begin to understand this book better. It will make better, not perfect sense, but better in the light of a wonderful, crucified, risen, and returning Christ and we will enter into the joy of the Lord. It is absolutely incredible that you'll begin to see things like that. And then your life will take on a, a form of worship that is incredible. Let me, we sang songs, and they picked songs for you to sing. That is a form of worship, but that is not at all the, the whole thing of worship. One of the things of worship that you'll find that God loves worship is this, enjoying something he gave you at its fullest and finding yourself just giddy in it is worship. Let me give you an example. My oldest son, uh, all my sons, I don't know how in the world they got this, my wife and I wonder about it, but they just got into neat clothes. And uh, we said, where did they get that? And I don't have any idea, but they, they always pick neat clothes. And, uh, and so, a lot of times when you see me up here, if I look nice, they picked it, or my wife did, okay? If I don't look nice, that's one of the things I picked, it's just comfortable. And, uh, but he got me a coat, and he got me this nice coat, and, uh, and I put it on, and he goes, it looks good. And so I put on his coat, and I started wearing it, and I started getting compliments from people. Wow, you look good, nice coat. So I went over to his house, and, and, and when I went to his house, I had the coat on. 
And I walk in, and he looks at it and goes, hey, nice coat. You know what I just did? I worshiped him. I wore what he gave me and pretty much was saying, I liked what you gave me, and I'm enjoying what you gave me, and that complimented him. You get what I mean? God has given you and I lots of cool coats, and he wants you to wear them. And he wants you to wear them, and people say, geez, that looks good on you. And when we do enjoy those things, that is a form of worship that I think somehow in Ecclesiastes we're going to come to, and all of these wonderful gifts that God has given us in this universe, which Solomon talks about, you're going to begin to enjoy at their fullest. And when you do, you're going to realize this book is an incredibly joyful book. And that's why I'm coming back to get you to come out snorkeling with me. Okay? This is incredible. But it is only incredible if you have the gift to enjoy the gift. Now, that doesn't just mean that you have bent your knee and received Jesus Christ. That is absolutely necessary to have this relationship with God. But it means that you are pursuing him, that he is becoming your main thing, that I don't want to make decisions that he's not making with me and for me. I want him to be what I get up in the morning for. I want him to be why I visit with you. I want him to be the reason. And if you continue to grow this relationship, you will be given the gift to open the gifts. And now this book is going to start unfolding to you as you read it. Here's one thing about this book I can assure you. There's hardly a thing in anybody's life sitting here that it won't touch. It will hit on everything. It's going to hit on uh, the, the best musicians, if you like music. It's going to hit on architects. It's going to hit on building. It's going to hit on building buildings and building ponds and building lakes. It's going to hit on money. It's going to hit on sex. It's going to hit on drinking. It's going to hit on food. It's going to hit on parenting. It's going to hit on everything you can imagine he's going to talk about. And then you're going to see one of the things that everybody here is going to hit on. It's going to hit on death. And if you don't have the gift to open the gift, death is going to be absolutely grim to you. It is going to wipe out everything. What's the use? Matter of fact, he says, what's the use? Why should I go ahead and earn any money? Because I'll, death will come and take it, and then somebody else that didn't work will get my money. And he started seeing life this way because he had eliminated God from being the main thing. But this book will be practical to you. If you allow it to be practical and just really begin to study it, you will absolutely be amazed that, wow, I never knew these little hidden nuggets were in this book. And they will help you live full and free. And I believe you'll be joyful. And I believe you'll be joyful. In uh, Psalms 78, Psalm 78 not only do I want you to see the freedom of this, but I would also like you to at least try to allow yourself to become as giddy as I am about bringing it to somebody else as well. Psalm 78 verse 1 says, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in a parable. 
I'm going to utter dark sayings of old. Dark sayings means these you cannot understand without a help with understanding, which is the Holy Spirit, which you have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generations to come the praise of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous, extraordinary works that he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers. They should teach them to their children that the generations to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may rise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God. That word confidence is a total trust. So here's what will happen if we begin to do this, and this is kind of the journey that we'll have at least as a, a kickoff for Ecclesiastes. If I keep developing this union with God, I will get to know God. They that search me and seek for me will get to know me, God says. And then it says, they that know me will then put their trust in me. This is the path that it goes. This trust begins to be what opens a lot of the pages of the conflicts in this book. Let me give you an example. It's going to hit close to home. If you are alive and if you're normal, you've asked yourself questions. We here at Rimrock in the last month have had some very sad deaths that have taken place. Some of you may not have heard about them, but we've had, we've had deaths of a 14-year-old. We've had deaths of a 9-year-old girl. And we've also, maybe you didn't hear about this, we've had some miracles that have occurred. Just people that were told that they would be dead in six weeks, and then they said, well, at the most six months. Now, after six years, they said, you are no longer it's like there's, you never need to come back for chemo anymore. 80 years old. Why in the world heal the 80-year-old and not heal the 9-year-old? Don't you ask that question? If I was the 80-year-old, I'd say, please, let's reverse this. You can't make sense out of that if you don't have this gift over here. You can't reconcile that in your heart and your mind. But you're going to find that you have a risen Christ who is the resurrection and the life. And you're going to see that somehow God is going to reconcile these things. And what happens is my trust then begins to be, it looks blind, but I study, I look, and if I can't find the answers, I say, you know what, God, I can't make sense out of that. But here's the deal. You're God and I'm not. And you already showed and displayed your resume to me. And your resume is good enough for me. You, you saw and you will find out about Solomon's resume. It is mind-boggling what this man did. There's none like him and none will be like him. But if you want to see a real resume, take a look at Job chapter 38 through Job 42. I encourage you to read that this week, just 38 through 42. It's where God decides to show Job his resume. 
And he says, you come with all the questions like we just asked about this child. We, you come with these things. You're startled because you're confused by them. And so starting with verse, I think it's chapter 37, I think it is, it says where God speaks. He said, Job, come along. Let's take a look at some of the things that we did. Let's start with the galaxies that I, that, remember Job when we laid out the expanse of the galaxies. That, oh, I forgot you weren't there when I did that. How about when we went ahead in the storehouses of heaven and we stored up the hills and the snows and, oh shoot, you weren't there when I did that. Four full chapters of him showing his resume. He did not answer one of Job's questions, but he showed his resume and Job came away with an unbelievable, he fell to his knees and he says, I have said things and opened my mouth when I never should have opened my mouth. You are God and none of your ways will be thwarted. You are good always, all the time. You are God, I am not. And Job's life began to turn around. I want you to look at that because that is the God that we are going to get to know that's going to make sense out of this book of Ecclesiastes. And if you will do that and ride this thing together, nobody here has it figured out, including me. I'd have to say this. In studying it eight years, I'm probably more confused than you are. Other than this, I know that if I go ahead and trust in the one that that I can know, this book will start to open up and make better sense to me. There's a song, an old, old hymn. Uh, I so wanted to sing it. I, I wanted to sing it just because I wanted to show Tom I could give it a shot. <clears throat> but then I thought of you guys, and I was... <laughs> it's an old sim, and I, took, I, and I just took this one verse... And I want you just to listen to the words of this verse. I will not boast of anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Tom, you want to come up? Take this journey with us these four months.